sales win rates have plummeted to a mere 17%, and outdated technology and tedious manual processes are to blame. Meanwhile, managers lack the visibility they need to hold their teams accountable. But imagine a world in which these crippling issues are solved automatically. Revenue.io automates the most frustrating parts of sales so reps can focus on what they do best, selling. Completely automate pre-call research, logging conversation data in your CRM, writing post-conversation recap emails, and prioritized outreach. And as reps book more meetings and close more deals, managers gain the real-time insight they need to scale what's working across their entire team. Ready to say goodbye to tedious sales processes and watch your win rate soar? Head over to Revenue.io to learn more. Hey friends, it's Andy. Welcome to our new show, Accelerate Expresso. Look, I mean, I know you're busy, and it's hard to keep up with all six of the great episodes we publish each week. So with this show, Accelerate Expresso, we're going to deliver highlights from each episode from the previous week. And in the process, give you short, delicious shots of insight from a show you might have missed and to help amp you up for the coming week. Now, before we jump into it, please remember to visit iTunes or Google Play or wherever you listen to subscribe to this podcast. And while you're there, leave a review, please, for Accelerate. We need your feedback to ensure that we keep delivering the high levels of value you expect. Okay, let's express it. First up this week from episode 464 is Lee Carraher. Lee is the CEO of Double Forte, which is a digital agency based in San Francisco. She's a keynote speaker and, and a previous guest on, on Accelerate, where we spoke about her book, Millennials and Management, The Essential Guide to Making It Work at Work. Now, she's back, and we're talking about her new book, The Boomerang Principle, Inspire Lifetime Loyalty from Your Employees. So listen, as we had a great talk about the boomerang principle and why companies that encourage and allow employees to return have a strategic advantage over those who don't. Well, I think there's two things on that, the boomers thing. One is um, boomers, I think, uh, you know, we got caught, many people got caught by two or three downturns, depending on where you are in the country, right? Mm -hmm. And so particularly the people in 2008, 2009, who may have been on the older edge of being boomers, who lost their jobs before they wanted to and then couldn't find them again. Um, and it took a long time for them to get rehired. You know, they're just a lot of them and I've talked to lots of them, are just trying to hang on to those jobs, right? They don't want to get priced out. They don't want to be old. Um, there's some statistic in Silicon Valley that says there are more men getting um, uh, plastic surgery today than there are women. You know, there's just trying wait, wait, to stay wait, because, young. Because they're trying to stay young enough to, to be employable. Right, to be relevant, to be seemingly relevant, right? And um, so, uh, you know, these people are trying to hang on to their jobs at the same time as they see these younger employees like, I'm not getting what I want here, I'm off, right? So it feels twofold. One is they grew up thinking their parents were in jobs forever, and then the economy totally changed in the 80s and the 90s when publicly traded companies started shaving people for profit, that they didn't really need to for the street, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. And lots of people got laid out. I mean, that was just changed the entire dynamic in the contract. But the myth of the golden watch, the myth of the, you know, retirement party, the myth of those things, you know, still prevails, um, even though they're really not real. They haven't been real for over 20 years. So we're sort of living with this ideal that is no longer true. 
Um, and I think some boomers that I speak with are sort of living in the disappointment of where they are versus where they had planned. And then they see these particularly younger people, you know, under 35, 36 year olds who look like they're not loyal, meaning they don't stay around. They don't do their time. Um, when of course, if they were their children, they would say, don't leave, you know, if you're not getting what you want, if you don't have mm -hmm. work-life balance, if the company is not going anywhere, you got to get out of there so you don't look stale, right? So it is a definitely a, um, a push me pull me on that for sure. On Tuesday in episode 465, I spoke with William Wiki. William's the senior manager of content and media strategy at Lead Genius and one of the authors of an ebook titled 2017 Trends and Tech Guide for B2B Sales and Marketing. So, not surprisingly, we had a good talk about some of the key trends they identified in that ebook that will affect you in B2B sales. Check it out. Some of the things that people should consider um, are, I would say, the first two things when it's um, regarding the SDR function and growing that and adding scale to the sales process. Outbound email solutions that allow for um, heavy personalization and um, easy tracking are is something that I would consider. This would include companies out there like um, Outreach.io, Yesware, PersistIQ, um, simple email tools that um, people usually fall on one side or the other of. They they've either over familiar with that type of area and they think, well, why can't I just do everything from Gmail? Why can't I do everything from my marketing uh, email? And I, and I come from the marketing side of things. So I have marketers say to me all the time, like, well, why can't I just do outbound email with, you know, with HubSpot or Marketo or a MailChimp, et cetera. And then on the sales side, it's like, well, why can't I just send emails from, from Gmail? Um, why can't all my reps just, you know, maintain their own communications there and log activity in Salesforce? Um, the tools that we highlight uh, in this area are things that you can use to coordinate messaging at scale and make sure that uh, insights from particular reps are not getting lost in the shuffle of data. You're actually mm -hmm. able to iterate on what's working, learn, and start from a consistent process. So what that looks like actually in practice is a single template used for your 15 or 50 reps, um, work that eight email sequence set up, you know, timed or, or trigger-based email sequences that are intended to, you know, gauge a prospect's interest, get a positive reply, convert them into a qualified lead, and do all that automatically, just putting the positive replies or the replies in the hands of the rep, making their time more efficient rather than that tit-for-tat back and forth all day on email. That can be a, a big time saver for those guys. The other thing that I would suggest for sales teams considering an approach like that is your data strategy. How are you acquiring and maintaining quality contact and account right. data? How are you getting data points that allow for uh, personalization at scale? One thing that you hear a lot about personalization, and I guess I should qualify that personalization in an outbound email function isn't just purely about merge fields in an email. It, it is about that. You know, you can go look at Well, as the recipient of many of them, it seems like for 99% of the companies, that's exactly what they're doing. They're definitely doing that. You can go look up, you know, all sorts of different blog posts about personalization and your subject line, increasing open rates, et cetera. And, and that's, that's true to a certain degree, but the real personalization element that 
quality data and having the right data allows you to do is segmenting those email sends into targeted blasts that are, um, you know, a template that is actually has compelling messaging structured around a specific type of individual within your system. That's an example of, you know, the type of personalization you can get with some of the data providers out there today. Lead Genius is, does this to a certain degree. Um, providing high quality data is definitely something that we do. Um, but depending on your process, there might be better solutions out there for you that are just pure data plays. Um, depends on whether scale is most important to you and unique data points offer insights into your mm -hmm. customers mm -hmm. specifically. For some people, it doesn't. Um, and making sure that you have a technology in place to actually get the most out of that. Next up in episode 466, Sharon Drew Morgan. Sharon Drew is the creator of Buying Facilitation, a keynote speaker and author of multiple best-selling books, including one titled Buying Facilitation. And in our conversation, we had a great talk about buying facilitation because she believes, Sharon Drew believes, that you can't sell to buyers until they know how to buy, and they only need help from you as the seller to help them learn how to do that. So let's be a little bit careful because there's the, the client, the buyer, has to figure this out. Mm-hmm. And a salesperson from the outside whose job it is to sell their solutions doesn't, not only do they not know how you're going to figure it out or the buyer's going to figure it out, but that's not their job. Their job is to find somebody who's going to buy. So you've got one group, i.e. the buying decision team group, mm -hmm. who's got to go through the steps to figure out how to resolve their excellent their issue and get to excellence. Because they don't, they don't want to buy anything. They just want to have excellence. Mm -hmm. Right? They right. They're not setting out to buy anything. And no, they, the sales, they, they don't care what the solution is, right? Just as long as they're excellent, right? Just so long as they're excellent. And the, the salesperson now is sees somebody with a need. One of the big problems is that the sales model thinks a prospect is somebody who should buy. I think a prospect is somebody who will buy and who can buy. Mm-hmm. Said a very different person because sure. just because you see there is a need doesn't mean they think there is a need or they're willing to act on it. Okay. Sure. So once the sale, once the buying decision team is brought together, and they decide together what excellence would look like, and then they try to fix it themselves because all systems first try to fix the problem themselves mm -hmm. always. And when they can't, then they say, oh, crap, do we really have to bring in something new? And then you've got the sales and the marketing team who would have to share budget and they're not talking to each other. Then you've got the tech guys who doesn't want to make any more changes because he's scheduled out for three years and he's not going to do anything until he's finished. And they don't know if they're going to bring in another group to help him because their outsourcing group has just gone belly up until they have to pick another outsourcing group. And then this one's fighting with this one. And all of that has to be resolved before anybody can buy. Okay, the last thing they want to do. So nobody is helping them go through that. And you know what? I was an entrepreneur. It's really confusing. When do you bring in your investors? When do you bring in your current vendors? Or who do you talk to? Who do you not talk to? I was married to my tech guy. I, I hired him to take care of my tech team. And we decided to go through a divorce in the middle of my third year of, as an entrepreneur. We had to work around. Everyone had to work around our issues while we were working together. Together, we mm -hmm. had to deal. There's always something going on. And until they figure it out, they can't buy. 
So you've got them going and nobody's helping them. I've coded all the steps and I can teach salespeople how to teach the buyer how to go through that. The switch is that the salespeople can't think about selling first. In episode 467, I spoke with Michael Fitzgerald. He's the founder and CEO of One Page CRM. In our conversation, we discussed how to use your CRM system, not just to monitor deals, but to actually get things done, things you need to get done to salesperson to move deals forward and to close them. I mean, like when, when you're dealing with lots of, if you've got somebody who's dealing with, say, lots of leads and they have to qualify them and, they, and then they're trying to nurture some other prospects, you can get bogged down. And I mean, like if you're kind of, you know, faced and you look in your database and you've kind of say, okay, I better research this, this prospect before I reach out to them or whatever I need to do. It, it, that is, that is a time waste as well. I mean, like, you know, there's lots of productivity principles where you would say you only handle a piece of information once and you make a decision. You have to, you know, don't read it and leave it down without make taking on an action. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what we, that's what we've built in as well. I mean, like, you know, so when you complete the task, we say to you, what is that next action? Because you've got the, the information fresh in your mind to be able to make that decision better. And I would say that, uh, you know, you're dealing with people like, you know, if that person was maybe angry in some way, you are in the best position now to, to make the right decision about what is the next step. <laughs> or if there were, if there were, you know, you're maybe you're, you're contacting them too much. And the last thing you want is one of your colleagues just picking up, you know, from where you left off and, and being insensitive about it. You can make all the decisions way better right at, at the time of the last interphysical interaction. So that's the, that's what we believe anyway. On Frontline Friday this week with my very regular and special guest, Bridget Gleason, that was episode 468, we talked about sales management. In particular, how to use questions to coach and mentor the members of your sales team. And also, really importantly, how to determine how you as a manager can best add value to your reps. Well, and I think it's it says something also that even though you were prescriptive, that she had the courage and confidence to follow her own instinct and gut. And I look for that also Mm -hmm. that because sometimes I may make a stronger suggestion. I try to be clear that it's, but I'm not always that it's a suggestion, not a mandate. Right. And I also have to think about that with my boss because I know as a CEO, it's very easy for people to follow and just do exactly what he says. But I know him well enough now to know that he may have strong opinions, but he's also looking for the people who report to him to have strong opinions and to be able to come back and say, you know what, that was your suggestion. This is my recommendation. Just because the CEO or the VP of sales or your manager has an idea that something needs to be done a certain way, doesn't necessarily mean it's the right way. It doesn't mean to go and disregard everything, but I think it's use the brain, think about it, have the the courage also to exactly. have the discussion to say, mm, had you considered this? Well, think- I'm always receptive. I shouldn't say I'm always. I try to be very receptive to that. Finally, episode 469, we close out the week with my conversation with Sean Finder. He's the CEO of Exchange Leads. We talk about building lists and the importance of data hygiene and data standardization in your list to ensure that you're not wasting valuable selling time. Check it out. Yeah, uh, one, one thing we just, we just started work on and we're, we're about to finalize, which we found that 
even the largest companies in the world don't have is, is more data standardization. And what I mean by that, Andy, is, is a lot of clients, even if you go on, on LinkedIn right now in the advanced search and you type in vice president of sales, you might see vice president of sales, sales vice president, VP of sales. Um, so it's the same thing with people's, with people's data. Um, you know, in their CRM, they might have, for example, Walmart USA. But they might have it spelled with a capital W, Walmart as one word, Walmart as two words, Walmart Inc., Walmart USA, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, et cetera. But they, and in their CRMs, that's actually considered multiple accounts when it's actually one company. It's just Walmart USA. So that was one thing that we found very interesting when looking at Fortune 500 clients' data was um, data standardization. Nobody is really focusing on it, and it can actually uh, improve a lot, a lot of people's CRMs and, and, and the database that they're using. So that's it, friends. Another excellent week of Accelerate, the world's best sales podcast. Please take 30 seconds right now. Go to iTunes, subscribe, leave a review. I personally want to know what I can do to make this an even more valuable resource for you. For our regular listeners, I'll see you bright and early Monday morning. For everyone else, we'll see you again back here next week. Until then, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Hey, sales strategists. At Revenue.io, we're not just imagining the future of sales. We're building it. We offer the world's most complete platform for revenue teams, and we're featured in the most recent Forrester Waves for both sales engagement and conversation intelligence. With Revenue.io, you can slash call prep time to seconds, guide your reps in real time to have more successful conversations, and after calls, we generate ready-to-send recap emails so sellers can keep deals soaring toward the finish line at light speed. See the future of sales now at Revenue.io.